Good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm sure when you saw that Emma Owen with her big earrings and pierced uh, all over, you thought, what a wild person, you know. Uh, she's British. The British can be wild, you know. Uh, you always think of them as gentlemen and ladies, but there's a few others too. And, uh, but actually, she's a fantastic wife, a great mother. She just looks wild, but she is a fantastic woman of God. And some of you probably think, I'd never go to one of those festivals. I can't jump up and down and see all the smoke going up and all these people doing stuff. But actually, it can be quite exciting. Someday, if we do it again in Chicago, I hope you can come here. You're not too old to enjoy it by then. But uh, I am delighted to be back at Christ Church. I was here when it got going. I think I, one of the first Sundays at some theater that looked like a nightclub. I don't know where it was. That's where it started, for those of you who weren't there then. And so, once in a while, through the years, I've come back. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting us financially. Uh, we do these festivals all over the world. Right now, we're getting ready for New York City. So I've come to ask you to pray for New York City. We've been working on them, or God has, hopefully, uh, for two years in our case. Uh, we just launched it two weeks ago, downtown uh, Manhattan. There was about 1,200 church leaders and pastors, and there was enormous excitement, and it was really very, very thrilling, but we need lots of prayer. If you think Chicago is complicated, and it is, I've been here and I don't relish uh, doing a festival in Chicago. Yes, because it's necessary, but boy, the confusion in Chicago. New York is even worse than Chicago, so be encouraged. And, uh, but we need lots of prayer. And we got a thing, that a women's, national women's prayer team. If some of you women, I'm sure, are very prayerful, you might want to go on, the, uh, on, on our website and join up and get information. We need prayer. There's the wealthiest people across from Central Park, the billionaires of the world own property there, and then some of the poorest people in the world also. They claim 200 languages are spoken in New York, and I'm sure it's true. So we're going to need a lot of wisdom. I only speak two languages, so we're going to need a lot of interpreters around. But it's really exciting to be there. I enjoy the worship. You've got a good worship team. Uh, I'm a too a good leader who knows. I thought I was in New Orleans at first, but then, yeah, uh, that's great, yeah. It, it really is great to have, you know, mature, gifted, super musicians who also are spiritual, uh, like your group does. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I, there's a man in this church and his wife. I honor his wife. Him, I'm not so sure. His name is Mark Neiman. He's on our board of directors, so I have to be respectful. But uh, he said to me, you got to tell them who you are. They, they support you, but they don't know what you are and what you do. That's why they support you. And so I said, yeah, thank you very much, and I love you too. Uh, if it wasn't for his wife, he wouldn't even be on the board. But anyway, uh, actually, he's a pretty good man, uh, and a good friend, and we've been friends for 35 years, he claims, which is longer memory than I have. But I was born in Argentina, that's why I have a funny name, Luis is a man's name, okay, not Louise, that's a girl, and I'm a man. Uh, I'm all for women, but I'm a man. And uh, if you want to pronounce it right, there's like triple S, Luis. You know, that will help you. Not that you care, but just so you know. And Palau is Spanish too. My dad was born in Barcelona, Spain, and then as a boy went to Argentina. And uh, so uh, I have Spanish. Uh, my mom was born in 
Uruguay, her father was Scottish, and her mother French. So it's a big mix-up, and it's, I felt it all my life. I never know who I really am. It's almost like Americans. And uh, my dad was a businessman. He didn't know the Bible. He didn't know God. My mom played the organ at the local parish church. And then an Englishman showed up in town, and people called him a missionary. And we all thought he was a missionary. He went door to door giving away New Testaments. And uh, he was the CEO of Shell Oil Company for South America. We found out later, you know. He never talked about it. I don't know if he did any work for Shell, but he sure did a lot of good work in the town. And uh, it, 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 my dad, my mom came first to Christ. She began to read the New Testament. She'd never seen it before. And uh, she felt very guilty. And uh, then she was reading the book, you know, began with the first page, came to chapter 5 where it says, uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And she told us, I wasn't even born yet, I was still in my mother's womb, as they say, and uh, she said, I'll never see God because I don't have a pure heart. And then she remembered that during Mass, the priest would quote the words of the Gospel of John, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And somehow the Holy Spirit put together her sense of guilt and lostness and the work of Christ on the cross. And she felt, she told me, and told us, I have five sisters and I'm the only boy. Uh, anyway, she felt the Holy Spirit saying, be at peace, my child. The cross of Christ has taken away your guilt. And from then on, she was a happy Christian. Then my grandmother came on her side. Then one day my dad showed up. He would never go to the little church. I mean, the church in those days was about the size of this platform, no more. And he showed up, dropped my mother off, parked the car, sat down, and as this Englishman, who was not really a preacher, he was a businessman and uh, successful, he began to explain the gospel, and my dad interrupted I mean, it wasn't an Episcopal church, but it wasn't Pentecostal either. So he gets up and he says, right now, he said, I was only a baby, so this is family lore. Uh, right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my only Savior and Lord, and he sat down. And my mom was so excited that the old boy, he was only 23, uh, stood up, you know, and interrupted. She was so embarrassed that he interrupted. She wanted to dive under the pew. There was no pews, chairs. Anyway, my dad's life was changed. They began to serve the Lord. And 10 years later, the Lord took him home at age 34. But he was a great businessman. He worked with Mr. Rogers, the Shell Oil guy. They planted congregations all over the villages outside of Buenos Aires, the northern area. And then so to me, to win people to Christ is the greatest thing. My father died, and I was only 10 years old. He was 34. And he... Uh, uh, the doctors could do nothing for him. It was the end of World War II in 1944, and uh, uh, they sent him home. And he knew he was dying. He had the assurance of eternal life. So he sat up in bed. I was still in boarding school. My grandma told me to get home fast. I got on a train, a subway, and another train. And when I got home, he'd just gone to be with the Lord. I mean, like 10 minutes earlier. So I said to my mom, why didn't you call me early? I could have kissed him goodbye, you know. I was only 10-year-old little boy, nasty little boy, but a little boy. And uh, she said, well, I'll tell you what happened. Dad knew he, he was dying. He sat up in bed. He began to sing a song 
in Spanish, Salvation Army kind of song, clapping his hands about heaven. And then he sang it three times, exhausted from the galloping fever, his head fell on the pillow. He pointed up to heaven and he quoted the words of St. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better by far. And a few moments later, the Lord took him home. I was only 10 years old. I thought, man, this is the way to die, you know, clapping your hands, singing and quoting the Bible. It doesn't get better than that. And so in a sense, the reason I travel the world telling them about Jesus Christ goes back to that day. Because to me, the ultimate decision of your life is where you're going to spend eternity. The, the years on earth, 70, 80, I'm going to be 80 next month. I tell you, it goes by fast, you know. You still think of yourself as a kid until all the young people say, can I help you up the stairs, you know. Say, hey, get out of here, you know. And, uh, but you realize you actually enjoy it. You know, I carry your suitcase. Yes, please do. And, uh, but, you know, I remember when I was a kid, but I ain't no kid no more, you know. And, but uh, soon... You've got to be ready for the big one. And C.S. Lewis used to say, once you settle your eternal destiny, all other decisions are totally minor in comparison, which is absolutely true. I mean, who cares what car you buy when you're off up there, where you fly on your own without need of a, a fancy car? Or who cares what house you live in uh, for 30 years and the envy of your neighbors like Neiman, and uh, you know, and uh, he deserves for me to give him some from up here because he dishes it out in private. Uh, but uh, you know, the big one is where will you spend eternity? So, I want to read a passage from the Bible. I'm sure you came. The, the last song said, Show us Christ, show us Christ. And I thought, That's for me, so thank you very much. Uh huh. Luke chapter 19. Here we have the story of a man. And the theme of this church for the last few weeks and the next few weeks, according to the pastor, uh, when he told me about it, Pastor Mark, Mike, uh, is, is uh, the subject of brokenness. And you know, think about how many broken people there are in the world today as you look, look for Luke 19. <laughs> Ebola. Now that's the big news these days. The African fellow who died in Dallas... The fellow who took care of him now has Ebola. Uh, the fighting in the Middle East, people abandoning their homes. This morning I got up at Neiman's house and I thought, imagine if we were in the Middle East and this gang comes and we have to leave everything behind, jump in a car, whatever, and escape to Canada, and you leave behind your house, your vehicles, your mementos, your stuff, and you disappear, and you know if you ever come back, and that's happening, broken hearts. Think how many are being killed by strange people, and then you think about things happening right in the U.S. right now. There's a couple we know very well whose 18-year-old son, just about a month and a half ago, at 520, they found him almost by accident tried to take his life, 18 years old, and left a little note saying, I'm no use to you, I can't take care of myself, I'm a pain to the family, it's better that I die. His broken heart and the parents' broken heart. And then a young couple that I've been spending a lot of time with, a young fellow who's about 44, sounds young to me, 
When you're 80, everybody's young. And uh, I've had coffee with him many weeks, many months. Uh, brought up in a Christian home as his wife, went to Christian college, and he's walked with God. He's never been unfaithful to his wife. He's never hit her, not once. She says so herself. But she got tired of him. He likes too much football. He's a good provider. He's an excellent professional person with good degrees. But she said, just leave and go. And so he asked my wife and me to come when he talked to the oldest of his two boys to tell him, Mom has told me i got to leave the house and I'm going to have to leave. So we went to a restaurant and we were eating and then he took the oldest boy out and he was going to tell him what happened. And the boy, he began to cry, the dad, whom I know and love. And uh, the, dad, the boy who's nine years old said to him, tapped him on the back and said, it's okay, dad. Don't cry. It's going to be all right. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then he said, Dad, I have a question. When you leave us, will you marry another lady? And I thought, wow, you talk about broken hearts. A little boy with a broken heart. A dad who couldn't control himself to have to tell his own beautiful son, he's a beautiful boy. I'm going to have to go. And I won't be coming back, except I'll see you every other weekend and on Wednesdays. And in the summer, maybe two weeks. There are broken hearts all over the place. I don't know if you notice Matt Redman up there, you know. He's written many worship songs huh, that he was converted in our mission to London way back in 1984 at QPR Stadium in London. And he came and he was only 10 years old. I'm reading the Bible in a second, don't panic. Uh, uh, this is just to wake you up. Uh, he came, he was 10 years old, and he was desperate. His biological dad had died when he was 7 years old. He didn't know till he was 17 that he actually killed himself. He drank too much, beat up on his mother in London, England, and abused his own little boy. The mother remarried when Matt was about 10. He's told this story publicly, so this is not gossip. And... Um, the second husband beat up on his mother again, and he drank a lot, and he abused Matt in a horrible way. And he was 10 years old. Some friend from school brought him to the stadium, and that night, it was a long campaign, 15 weeks in London. That night, I was speaking on the fatherhood of God, and what a glorious father God is, how he comes into your life. If you listen to him and obey him and walk with him, how he'll take care of you and guide you. And Matt said in a video that I've seen, he said, that's the father I was looking for that I never had as a boy. And then one day I was in El Paso, Texas. Well, that night he gave his life to the Lord. And now you know how he leads worship all over the world. I was in El Paso, Texas. And uh, we were having a phone call in television program. People would call in and I would talk and counsel. A young boy called up. I thought he was a girl, you know, before he changed his voice. Hello, Mr. Pillow. He was a boy. I thought it was a girl. But uh, it was a boy. And I had been talking about gangs with a previous caller. And he said to me, you were talking about gangs, and you implied that everybody's violent and wicked. But he said, I belong to a gang, and we don't do any bad things. And I said, what's the ga gang about? He said... We, we gang together to protect ourselves from bullies in junior high and high school in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I said, wow, what do you call the group? We call ourselves the fatherless gang because all of us, our dads are gone and we have to protect each other. 
because we don't have a dad to help us. And I said, how many boys in Las Cruces belong to the fatherless gang? And he said, about 400 of us. And I thought, you talk about broken hearts. 400 boys in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is a cow town, if I may say so. You know, and all these boys with a broken heart. The dad is gone. People bully them, which, you know, happens. And yet, they get together for that. And you know, the world is full of broken hearts. And maybe some of you here today, you live in one of the classiest little towns I've ever seen anywhere in the world. But you could have a broken heart in a fancy home. You could have a broken heart driving a Rolls Royce or a convertible. And everybody may envy you, but in your soul you feel, man, if somebody would point the way for me, I would love to get out of whatever makes me so broken. So here's a man in the Bible called Zacchaeus. Everybody knows the story, but let's read it again. And just as Jesus called Zacchaeus to come on down, that he was going to go to his home and eat with him that night, he wants to do it with you right in Lake Forest today, Sunday. He would love for you to invite Jesus into your life and into your home and take him with you for dinner and for lunch forever and ever. Actually, that's really true. So let's read the story of this man. Luke 19, verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead climbed on a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And Jesus this morning is saying to you in Lake Forest, Come down from wherever you're sitting. I want to stay at your house today. I think it's the house of your heart to begin with. But he also wants to go to your house, the real house you live in, and be with you and stay with you forever. So, what does Zacchaeus do? He says, Zacchaeus came down immediately. No explanations, no excuses, no yes, but tomorrow he came down immediately and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to complain. He's gone to the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay it back with 25%. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of faith, a son of Abraham. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, I've got exactly 12 minutes, I think, to give you three main points this morning. What did Jesus Christ come into the world to actually do? 
A friend of mine who's a lawyer and a Bible student, just like Mark Neiman is, he gave me a paper the other day that he prepared for his group of men that he teaches. He said there's 58 reasons why Jesus Christ came. So I'm not going to give them to all of you this morning. We'd be here over lunch. But three big ones. First, Jesus said, I have God the Father has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted. Secondly, in this passage he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And then the third one, I wish I could have time to explain, but believe me, it's there. St. Peter said in 1 Peter, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous in place of the unrighteous to bring you to God. So three main reasons this morning why Jesus Christ came. One, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. Secondly, to look for and to rescue those who are lost. And thirdly, he died on the cross to bring you to God. To bring you to God. At the end of these few moments, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If some of you perhaps have never met Jesus Christ personally and invited him into the house of your soul and into your home here in Lake Forest or wherever you live, you could do it today. So first, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. But before that is a statement, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. People can be brokenhearted over many things. Sometimes of your own guilt, things you've done that you're ashamed of, some people know, and they berate you from time to time, or your own conscience accuses you, and you can feel a broken heart because you say, why did I do it? Why did I do it? It's wrecked so much of my life. Jesus Christ comes to bind and heal the brokenhearted. How does he do it? First, by forgiving you your sins and by teaching you to forgive other people. Most of our broken heart comes from people who've done things to us that break our heart or things that have happened to us. And forgiving others is part of the process that God uses to heal us. But first he has to forgive us our own failures and our own sins. And so we personally have to be forgiven first. Then we learn to forgive. You remember the Bible says, as God in Christ forgave you, so you also forgive one another. And when you forgive, the freedom that comes is astonishing. I could tell you stories, but time won't allow it. Secondly, God heals and binds the brokenhearted, not only by forgiving us, but also by His presence in us. You know, when you receive Jesus Christ, a true miracle happens. It's that God enters your life. You remember the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember what it says? Your body is the temple of God. And the temple of God is sacred. And you are that temple. So the way he heals our broken heart is by coming to live within us. To teach us his way, like some of, one of the songs was saying this morning. To teach us his word. And he comes to live with it. Thirdly, he heals and binds the brokenhearted by saying to us repeatedly, 
in the Word of God. But one of my favorite of God's statements is, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And when you get that, you begin to say, yes, my broken heart can be healed because God loves me with an everlasting love. And another verse that I love, when God says, your name is written on the palm of my hand. God is saying, I never forget you. Every day I see your name, so to speak, on the palm of my hand. And Jesus says, he calls his own by name. He knows your name. He knows your broken heart. And he says, I love you with an everlasting love. Your name is written on the palm of my hand. And I call you by name. To me, that is so healing. To know that Jesus Christ knows your name. And he knows your antics. And he still loves you. And then also... He heals us by a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, today it's become very common to say, I don't believe in organized religion. I often have said to people, so you believe in disorganized religion? Fine, you know. Nobody asked us to believe in religion anyway. But a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, like I understand this church is, is part of God's healing process. Some people say, I don't need the church. Oh, you better believe you do. First, you are part of the church if you belong to Christ. So when you kick the church, you're kicking your silly butt yourself. Pardon my biblical language. But anyway, uh, you know, you're kicking your own backside because you are the church. You insult the church, you're insulting yourself. That's an idiot thing to do. We're part of the body of Christ. And part of God's approach to healing is a group of people who loves you, who surrounds you. I belong to a church in Portland, Oregon. It's very boring, but very loving, you know. We don't have super worship. Ours is sort of, you know, a little dull. But people love you. When you're sick, they overwhelm you with food. You have to say, okay, enough is enough, you know. They visit you. They care. They take care of you. It's a beautiful. The church is a beautiful thing. And if you despise it, you're despising yours. Okay, I better stop right there. But that's part of God's healing process. And then one of the great things that God uses to heal us who are brokenhearted are His promises. The Word of God is filled with promises. They're all conditional, by the way. Some people say, oh, God loves us with unconditional love. That's so, so true. His love is unconditional. But if you want His promises to happen in your life, there are conditions attached. But that's the way God heals the brokenhearted. And if some of you this morning are brokenhearted, I want to encourage you. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Don't resist Him anymore. Let Him come into your life. Let Him take over. He will heal your broken heart. He will bind your wounds. He does it. I was talking to Stephanie, one of the ladies here in the church, a few minutes ago, just before we got going, Stephanie Hayes. and she's, I've known her for several years, and her husband went to be with Christ four and a half years ago. And this morning I said, how are you doing? She says, I have never had a better, not because her husband's gone, but she's never had a better time in her entire life. She was heartbroken when he died. I saw her soon after. But now she's been healed by the Lord and she's full of joy. And you can see it right in her sparkling eyes. And, you know, she's not a kid anymore, but she sounds like a kid because she's so filled with the Holy Spirit and she's got a purpose and a goal and serving the Lord and her two sons are walking with Christ right now and it's a joy. What a thing. The Lord heals and He gives you a purpose filled with promises. Secondly, Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost. Uh, perhaps a more modern way of putting it is 
to search for and to rescue those who are lost. Search and rescue teams in many cities. In Oregon, we have them because every winter people get lost in the mountains and they fall through the cracks and the snow and so on. And these search and rescue teams are famous in Portland and everybody reveres them. They love it when there's a problem. They go by helicopter and GPS and everything and the story comes out in the paper. We saved him, you know. Jesus is looking for those who are lost. You know, as a matter of fact, the Bible says all of us are lost until we meet Jesus Christ. Some people are lost intellectually. They almost know too much. And they're so confused. Even though they're bright and well-educated, they're lost intellectually. Other people are lost morally. They're bright and successful, but their personal life is a disaster. And they're lost. And they don't know how to be rescued. If you're spiritually lost or morally lost, come running to Christ in a few moments when I lead you in a prayer of surrender to the Son of God. He was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in our place, searching for us, looking for us, calling. And this morning He calls you by name. I wish I had time to explain how He rescues us all. He rescues us from the curse of the law. You know, the righteous, just law of God condemns us because of our rebellions, our sinfulness, our disobedience, our insulting our Creator. But somebody had to rescue us from the curse that the law brings. The law condemns us. But Christ on the cross died to rescue us from the curse of the law. Secondly, Christ rescues us from selfishness and ego and from emptiness and loneliness. So many people who are successful in the world and get written up in the magazines, nevertheless, are empty and lowly inside. Christ came to rescue us from that. How? By the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that cross that you've got up there. I was sitting as we were worshiping, and I thought, that's good that it's there. To remind people that it cost Christ the cross, not only bind the brokenhearted, but to rescue those who are lost. And then lastly, and I'm running here, Oh, they're going to shut me off the television. Is uh, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous in place of the unrighteous. He was our substitute on the cross. I, Luis Palau, deserve to be on a cross. Because ever since I was a boy, I've sinned against God. I have a dirty mind. I have a bad temper. A lot of things I'm not going to tell you about. Those are the nice things other stuff. I should be on the cross. But Christ came and said, I have Luis Palau. I'm going to die in his place. And he did. And he said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And this morning, he looks at you as a woman, as a man, and he says, I know your story. I took the whole burden on a cross 2,000 years ago. I want to bring you to God. And if you feel far from God, come running to Christ this morning. If you've drifted away from Him, come back. Because He wants to bring you to God. But you have to respond for yourself. You have to make your own commitment. He's done it all. But you and I have to respond. And you know, it's beautiful when a person does that. I was uh, 
here many years ago in 96. We had a luncheon nearby. And it was for scientists in the pharmaceutical area and doctors and a few managers. And we had about 200 at an Italian restaurant. I can't remember where it was, nearby. And I gave a presentation about Jesus Christ. And the committee were all doctors. And when everybody had left because they had to go back to the office, I had a prayer like I'm going to have in a second now. And um, everybody had left except the committee and one old man. This was a big restaurant. And he was coming slowly towards me with a cane. And the doctor chairman said to me, Luis, the man coming there is probably going to ask you about eternal life. We hear that he's searching. He's a professor at the University of Chicago. He's a Nobel Prize candidate for... Ouch. I forget right now. I didn't write it down. Anyway, one of the big ones. And he is getting old and he retired. I'll see you. <laughs> and he took off. Thank you very much. You know, I'm always awed by professors, you know. So he walks up. He was not well. His eyes were terrible. He had 37 surgeries on his legs, the doctor told me. So he was slow. He looks up and he says, are you the young man who spoke to us? I says, yes, it's me. He said, uh, thank you very much. And just to cut it short, I said to him, professor, do you have the assurance of eternal life or are you still searching? I love that question. He said, my wife is going straight to heaven, and I'm going straight to hell. I was surprised, you know, professor at Chicago who even believes in hell. And uh, I said, why is your wife going to heaven? And he made the typical mistake. He said, oh, she's a good woman. She goes to church. She reads the Bible. She deserves to go to heaven. So I said, professor, why are you going to the other place? He said, because when I was young, I knew all about it. I went to church, and then I lost it. I said, where did you lose it? He said, University of Michigan. They took it away from me, and I let them do it. And now it's too late. I said, Professor, it's never too late. You can meet God right here, right now. We were the only ones left in the whole restaurant. My brother-in-law was waiting at the door to take me back wherever. He said, well, it's too late for me. I said, no, professor, it's never too late. He said, it's too late. And I thought, I'm not going to argue with a professor. So I said, why do you say it's too late? He said, I am so unworthy, that's why. I am so unworthy. I was really touched. I did what they say you should never do. I gave him the old boy a hug, you know. And I said, professor, you are so repentant. God is willing to give you eternal life right now. It was Holy Week, you know, so it was Wednesday. I said, you know what we're going to celebrate on Friday? He said, yeah, I know. He said, I'm Presbyterian, I should know. He said, uh, Christ died for the sins of the world. I said, no, sir, he died for your sins. And he said to me, so what do I do? And I said, well, right now I'm going to lead you in a prayer, Professor. And you're going to receive Jesus Christ. And you're going to know that you have eternal life forever. It was so touching, you know, the old boy. Put up, I put my arm around him. I'm a Latin. What do I care? And uh, I led him in a prayer. Like, I'm going to lead you in a second. And when he finished the prayer, he said, am I in? <laughs> I said, yes, sir, you're in. Jesus Christ said, God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son of God has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I said, you just received the Son of God. You have life. That was in 96. Every year I called him on the 4th of July and just before Christmas. And I would say to him on the phone, Professor, have you got the assurance of eternal life? He said, yeah, Louis, I do, I do. About three years ago, I called and a woman answered and it turned out to be his daughter. I said, is Professor Martin there? She said, no, who's calling? She seemed aggressive. I said, no, I'm just a friend of his from Oregon. What do you want to know? I said, I just want to talk to him. I talk to him every Christmas. Well, he just died now in October. I said, good, he's in heaven. And she hung up on me. So she, <laughs> she needed eternal life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you may be here this morning and you say, Louis, I'm like the professor. I've been to church. I know the stuff. But I don't have the assurance of eternal life. I'd like to lead you at this moment in a prayer where you can receive Jesus Christ for yourself. And I hope that many of you will do that. So let's bow our heads before God, shall we? Let's bow our heads before God. And if you want to have the assurance of eternal life, join me in this prayer. I'll guide you phrase by phrase. And as you pray, remember the promise of Jesus Christ. This is not Palau speaking. This is not the church. Jesus Christ said, I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. So I'll lead you phrase by phrase. And as you pray, what you're doing is you're opening your heart to Jesus Christ. And he will come in and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I hope many of you pray that prayer and surrender to Jesus Christ. Oh God, my Father, you've spoken to my heart today. Right now, Lord Jesus Christ, you know the story of my life. I confess with my lips Jesus, you are the Lord. I believe in my heart. God raised you from the dead. Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender myself to you. Forgive me. Purify me. Change me. And I will serve you for the rest of my days. And one day in heaven, I'll see you face to face. Thank you, Lord. I'm yours forever. Because Christ lives in me. In his name I pray. Amen.